Hey, good morning, everybody. Glad you're here on this awesome Sunday. Thank you, gang. That was awesome, wasn't it? Hey, uh, good morning again. I know Nick already welcomed you guys, but um, I guess, Tom, we're supposed to get closer, I think. Okay. Okay. Uh, Hey, we are so glad that you guys are here. We have been on a journey pursuing a couple key staff additions, as most of you know, over the, the last year plus. And Tom and I have the privilege of giving you guys a quick and very fun update towards that end. Yeah. So, um, gosh, uh, back in the summer, we gathered uh, a search team together. And Steve and I facilitated this team of non-staff Heartlanders to uh, engage this search. Uh, We were looking for these two positions, a communities and discipleship pastor and a leadership and teaching pastor, two who would round out the three lead team members that we will uh, function with uh, uh, going forward. So as you know, uh, we're moving from a single lead pastor structure to that of a three-person lead team. And uh, these two men uh, will join Craig Cheney to form uh, that trio of leaders. At any rate, on September the 27th, we gathered our search team together, and we decided we were going to go on a spiritual journey that would have an organizational outcome. So we were in the scriptures together. We were praying together. We were asking God for wisdom and for guidance. And, um, and his spirit met us. As we partnered with a search firm uh, represented by one of our own Heartlanders, um, we began to put our organizational, our ministry profile out there. And um, uh, I'll tell you what, uh, a ton of people responded to that. I think there were six or seven hundred views of that profile, of which Eighty-some were considered uh, viable candidates, from which were distilled 11 in the, the, the first round. And this search team went to work viewing profiles, listening to sermons. All along we were praying together, and that first search delivered our communities and discipleship pastor, Brad Herndon. So... So when Brad and Allison uh, rolled into town for their site visit on the second to the last weekend in January, all the ducks were in a row. We knew they were a perfect fit. The only question would be, what will the spiritual relational chemistry be? And, um, and it was just uh, pretty instantaneous. Yeah, it was average. I mean, it was really good. <laughs> we were... We, it yeah. had to be average to keep going, yeah. and I think he did that. So just, yeah. o- just over the average mark, and uh, <laughs> we, we thought we had enough to work with, though, right? Yes, yes. No, actually, we're absolutely thrilled uh, beyond our dreams and expectations, and um, uh, God's Spirit led us um, so beautifully, and our, our search team was so committed. Uh, But now it was time to re-up for Search 2.0 because we had one position left to fill. Same thing, a ton of views, a fewer number of uh, final candidates, but from eight we went to six from 
six to four, four to two, and ultimately, Dan and Christian Jacobson were uh, our, our final candidate. And, um, and th this position uh, is the leadership and the teaching uh, pastor position. And the same thing, search team handed the search over to the management team, and we invited Dan and Kristen uh, to a, a, a site visit. Again, um, the only question was the question of spiritual and relational chemistry, and it was almost as instantaneous uh, at that it point. Was. So, um, so uh, the, the bottom line is, um, as Julie was saying, uh, God is a good Father. His Spirit uh, among us and around us has, um, has led to this moment where we are feeling a lift and encouragement from, from his faithfulness and, uh, and for you, from your faithfulness. And we are just excited that uh, we now have uh, completed the circle and the lead team um, is in place. And we'll be talking more and more about that uh, in the future as we all live into that together. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, we can pop that picture up, you guys, of the Jacobson family. They, uh, they are letting their church know this morning, uh, their leaders know, their closest friends know, and they're letting their church know. And so we couldn't be more excited. A uh, couple key dates, uh, Dan will be with us on June 6th, uh, which will be really fun, and their official start date uh, is July 1st. So they are, yeah, yeah, thank you, Lord. Uh, Y'all, I don't know. I hopefully, hopefully you can feel this. There's something special happening here. Yeah. There is something special happening. Something has been special has been happening for a long time that God has been working, and we are beginning to see that and feel that, and to get to be a part of that. This is exciting, so exciting for me. In fact, a big part of what drew me here was the chance to get to be a part of something unique and powerful and special as a lead team, to not be a person-led church, but to be led by a team of people. And to have the chance to be able to bring my strengths and lock arms with guys with other strengths and passions and insights and experiences, and be able to together alongside the other teams that God has filled Heartland with, to be able to pursue the best future that God has for us here. And we're beginning to see these things come into place. And I know you're going to be blown away by Dan and just his personality and his teaching, his love of God and his desire to see us grow in our love uh, for God too. So, man, stick around. How does this work? How do three people lead together? Like, that sounds kind of weird. We don't usually do it that way. Um, we're going to learn more about that. You're going to get to see more about that. But believe me, I believe together is better. That together is better. And so we're going to pursue this together, and there's an awesome adventure ahead of us. So, um, so uh, when I came to Heartland, I knew, I knew that I was coming not only to Heartland, but also to one of the best uh, sports cities in all of America. I would, I would say, yes, I'm not just, I would say one of the more underrated sports cities, honestly, but one of the best sports cities. So full confession, I grew up in St. Louis. <laughs> so I, I am a Cards fan. I always have been a Cards fan. I know there's a few of you out there that are afraid to speak up right now. But, but in fact, in one of my first interviews, uh, uh, Tom held up a, a Chiefs uh, hat and said, final question, and this is the make it or break it question, can you support these colors? 
And I told him, I said, you know what, I have to be honest with you, and hopefully from one sports city, great sports city, to another, you can respect that, no, I can't. <laughs> that I have to stay true to the colors that I bleed, that where I grew up, where I cheered, where some of my best memories were made, and I have to cheer for my boys. And I got to be honest, 1985 still stings. It stings a lot. That I-70 series, there's still names of people involved in that game that you can't say in my household. The shivers still go up our, our, our spines whenever we hear those names. And, and in fact, I think I'm a pretty big sports fan, but I got to tell you, there's one who takes the cake in my household, and it's my son, Gus. So Gus is our 12-year-old, and, and Gus is, is 10 times as loyal as I am. He's 10 times as diehard a fan as I am. He knows all of the stats going all the way back of probably the entire major league. Okay, he knows these things, he talks these things, and he cheers for the Cardinals. He can't, we have a, up in Minneapolis, we have a grocery store called Cub. He won't go to Cub <laughs> because it's too close to the Cubs, right? And so that's the kind of fan that he is. So a few weeks ago, um, I was going to a, a Royals game with some friends here from Heartland, and uh, I knew I needed to call Gus and, and tell him this because I had something to tell him more than that. And I said, Gus, um, I'm going to a Royals game. And he was like, great, that's cool, that's awesome, have fun. I think they were playing Cleveland or something. And, um, and I said, well, yeah, but I've, I got to tell you, I've made a decision and it's a pretty big one. And his face kind of was like getting kind of curious. And I was like, so, um, I prayed a lot about it, man. And, um, I need to tell you this and I need you to, to, I understand if something changes in our relationship when I tell you what I'm about to tell you, <laughs> I understand if you might think less of me, but, um, and he said, what is it, dad? Just spill it out. And I said, well, buddy. I've decided to buy a Royals hat. <laughs> and now, you got to know something, too, is I have 26 Cardinal hats in my closet. No other Major League Sports team has ever, has ever been donned on this head than the Cardinals. And so I saw Gus kind of take a step back and try to grip himself <laughs> from this news. And, and, and he just looked off to the side, and he looked at me, and he locked, looked off to the side, and then finally, he took a, a deep breath, and he looked at me and said, Dad? It's the right call. And we talked about how the Cardinals would still be the best team for us, that they would still reign supreme in our hearts, but how we were coming to a city that we loved and we wanted to be here for a while and we just couldn't not cheer because we saw what happened in 2015 and we couldn't not be a part of that. And so we said, okay, we can make room in our hearts to cheer for the Royals. And there is just something special about a parent's relationship with their child when they have something to come around, right? There's just something special about a father's relationship with his son, about a child's relationship with their parents, and, and whether it's baseball, or whether it's camping, or whether it's teaching that child to ride a bike, or cheering for the same teams, there is just something so special that God has given us in our relationship with our children. And I bring that up because today we're going to be looking at the story of a father and his child. It's one of the most famous stories in all of Scripture. In this series, the, land between, the Journey Between, we've been looking at the story of Abraham and Sarah all the way back in Genesis. And how God had promised them, if you go where I tell you to go, well, I'm going to give you that land. I'm going to give you a great name. I'm going to make you, make you the parents of an entire nation. The problem was there was no child, that they hadn't been able to have a child. But God said, I'm going to give you this child. That's when they were 76 years old. And then 24 years had passed. And now, Sarah's found to be with child. Abraham's child. And they have this child and Isaac is born and the fulfillment of God's promises is, has been complete right now. That they receive this child that God has promised them, that they waited so long for. Just think about that, 24 years. 
I bet as soon as they found out they were going to have a child 24 years ago, they put that nursery in place. And 24 years of that nursery being, being quiet now is all of a sudden filled with the sounds of a child. You know, now 24 years later, they're finally able to read those bedtime stories to the child that they have longed for, that they have looked forward to, that they're able to watch their son build sandcastles outside their tent in Canaan, that, that they're able to, to teach Isaac how to skip rocks and fish on the Jordan River. 24 years they've waited for this moment, for this time together. And so now Isaac is probably around 10 or 15 years old, and we open up to Genesis 22, and we see what next happens in their relationship with God and in their relationship with their son Isaac. And it starts like this. Verse, verse 1, chapter 22, it says, Sometime later God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. And early the next morning, Abraham, you know what? Can I just stop for a second? I got to be honest with you, real talk. I really don't like this passage. I struggle with this passage. There is something really, really uncomfortable. Speaking as a father of a child, there's something I really struggle with when I hear God telling Abraham to sacrifice his son. Am I the only one? I mean, what does that tell us about God? What kind, of, what kind of God does that? What kind of God tells someone to sacrifice their child, to sacrifice the child that he actually promised he would give him? Now, I know. I know it all works out. Spoiler alert, Isaac lives. Abraham's going to go through with it. God intervenes at the last second, says, don't do it. Isaac lives. And I know that. I still don't like this. I, I like it even less. Why, why, why would God ask Abraham to do this? And I know I'm a pastor. I went to pastor school. I know that this story kind of foreshadows Jesus and that one day God himself will, will sacrifice his own son. So he's not asking Abraham to do anything that God wasn't willing to do. But that was God sacrificing his own son for the salvation of humanity. That's a pretty big deal. And that was his choice. But why does he get to tell Abraham what to do with his son? What kind of, what does that tell us about God? Would God ever ask me to do that? Can I trust that God? Do I want to trust that God? Is anyone else uncomfortable with this? Well, if you are, you are feeling exactly what you're supposed to be feeling when we read this passage. If you're not alarmed by this, if you're not shocked by this, if you're not uncomfortable by the story that we just started reading, well, then, then you're going to miss out on the very point that God wants to teach us through this passage. See, all over the scripture, there's tough passages like this. There's stories like this, there's teachings like this, and, and they kind of rub us the wrong way, and we get pretty tense about it. But if we let that tension keep those passages and teachings at arm's length, or if we, or if we try to skip them or wish that those passages weren't in Scripture, then we're going to miss the very thing that God wants to teach us. You see, there's an author in the early 20th century by the name of Flannery O'Connor, Catholic author, and she had this, uh, she wrote these kind of short stories that were, that were very outlandish, even violent and a little grotesque sometimes, and especially for the early 20th century, she was asked, why do you write these stories, these outlandish, strong, violent stories? And she told the person, she said, to the heart of hearing, you have to shout. To the heart of hearing, you have to shout, saying, in, in, in order to help people feel something, think something, learn something, be affected by something, sometimes you have to shout. And we learned last week, Abraham was a little hard of hearing, <laughs> right? <laughs> that he turned down the, vo the, the volume of God in his life, and he turned up the volume of other things. And so I think God was, was shouting at him something, and the question is what? And so I want to pick this story back up. And I want to read it with all of the, the uncomfortable things about it. And as we do, I want you to ask yourself, what might God have been shouting at Abraham? 
And what might God be shouting at you and me? So Abraham gets up early the next morning. He loads his donkey. And it says, early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had enough, and when he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw this place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there and we will worship and we will come back to you. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, but, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac. He bound his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son from me, your only son. And Abraham looked up and, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its thorns and he went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on that mountain of the Lord it will be provided. To the heart of hearing, sometimes you have to shout. Now what is it? What is that one thing that I think God is shouting to Abraham? What is the one thing that I think God is shouting at us through this story? It's that, it's that God will see you through. That God will see you through even the tests that he puts you through. through. God will see you through even the tests that he puts you through. Think back through Abraham's journey. See, he didn't always get it right. And there was many tests that God had given him, and he, and, and he didn't fare that well. I mean, even, even at the very beginning, God said, go to Canaan, Abraham winds up in Egypt, you know, because he thought that that would be a safer route to go. And, and then while he was there, he, he was afraid, and so he lied about who Sarah was, and he put Sarah in harm's way, in danger's way, because he didn't trust God. And then last week, we learned that he wanted his, the promises of God so bad that he was willing to shortcut the promise and sleep with his servant in order to have a child, but that's not what God was talking about. And so Abraham kind of had a, a knack of getting it wrong. Of He'd been through many tests, but he still hadn't learned that God could see him through those tests. It's a tough lesson to learn. And so God gives him another big test. It says in verse 1 that God tested Abraham. And I don't like that word very much. Anyone, anyone else? Anyone like the word test? Does anyone go, ooh, test, yes. Like a, like a warm summer day. Uh, no. No, they give us the, the, the heebie-jeebies. The, I think of scantrons, you know, and I think of, of pop quizzes, and I think, of, I think of driver's tests. These were not highlights in my growing up years, and I wish I was a lot better than tests. If you, if you are good at tests, if you enjoy tests, I'm, you're just weird, I think. <laughs> I don't think any of us really feel that way, and I, I wish I had been a really clever test taker. Apparently, there's a lot more clever test takers because things like this start to fill up the internet. So here's, here's one test taker. What ended in 19, 1896? 1895. I mean, how do you score him wrong for that? Or what about this one? What, write five words you can spell. Five words you can spell. That kid's going places, that's for sure. 
Uh, or what, what about this one here? Why are there rings on Saturn? Because God liked it, so he put a ring on it. <laughs> Saturn was not a single lady. Uh, but in, this, is, this is the last one. This is probably my favorite one. What's the answer? Jesus. <laughs> that, kid, that, that kid probably was part of Heartland Kids, because you know in Heartland Kids, Jesus is always the answer. All right? Answer, Jesus. No, but we don't, we don't like tests, and we're not good at tests. So why would God, even that, that's kind of like, why would God give us tests? What does that tell us about God? This shows up time and time again in Scripture, that God tests his people. Now, why does he do that? Well, God tests us to reveal if we've put something between us. God tests us to reveal if there's anything that has come up between us and him. See, if God is love, and he is, and if God has created you and me to live in that relationship with him, to experience that love, not a, not a little bit, but like all of the love that he has for you and me, and that is the reason why he created us. Well, then the tests that he gives us are to help us lean deeper into that love, or to help us see, help us see, because God already sees. God doesn't need the test. We need the test. To help us see if there's anything that we have let get in the way of our relationship with God, of anything that has gotten in the way of him and us. So a few years ago, I had gone to the doctor because I was having some chest pains. And comes to find out, I was just dealing with too much stress in my life and my body was telling me it had had enough. But in order to tell this, I had to go to the doctor and, and he checked my pulse, he you know, did all the tests, he, and then he, he hooked those, those things on my chest and he had me get on the treadmill and start running. Now, that was not a comfortable experience. I don't like running. I especially don't like running when there's things that are hooked up on me, but I didn't resent my doctor for it. I knew that he cared for me. I knew that he wanted me to be around for a while. I knew that he wanted my best life. But in order to do that, he had to test me in order to see the condition of my heart. He had to test me in order to see if there was anything in my heart that shouldn't have been there. And I think God's tests are the same way. I think God tests us to reveal to us the condition of our hearts. And the times that God tests us, like, like he does here with Abraham, is to reveal to you and me if there's anything that has come up between us and God. And how do we know that? He puts us on the treadmill. Look how God puts Abraham on the treadmill. It says, it says take your son. Now, lest there be any confusion, your only son. He gets even more specific. Take your son whom you love. It feels like, it feels like salt in the wound a little bit. But God wanted to be very specific. He says, take your son, whom you love, Isaac, and sacrifice him. Now, why Isaac? Well, I don't think it's because Isaac needed to die. But I think Isaac represented something to Abraham that did need to die. I think, I think Isaac represented the promises of God that Abraham had spent his life living for. So much time in that, in that journey between the promises and the promised land. That I think somewhere Abraham was still too focused on the promises of God and not on God himself. And so, and so God told Abraham, I want you to take that promise that you've gotten a little out of order here. And I want you, I want you to be willing to sacrifice that. You see, we're always in danger of putting something between us and God. And so what could it be for you? And sometimes it's things that we, that we put there, that we keep between us and God. Sometimes it's things that just kind of grow there without us really even knowing. And so how do we know? Well, let me put us on the treadmill for a second. Let me ask you a few questions. What do you most desire? Question two, what, what can you not imagine your life without? 
Question three, what is something, some part of you, some part of your week, some part of your home, some part of you, what is some part of you that you get a little defensive about or you might get a little anxious about, especially if someone starts coming around that thing, if they start asking you about that thing, if they start kind of digging into that thing or challenging you on that thing, and then all of a sudden you find yourself getting a, a little bit more defensive, a little bit more anxious, because that's usually a sign that we hold that thing more tightly than we realize. See, the things that get between us and God, they don't have to be bad things. They could be. If it's a bad thing, it's probably in the way of you and God. Sometimes it's a small bad thing. It's like a habit or just a, a pet sin. And we think, well, as long as, I can, as long as I can just keep it here and kind of keep it contained, well, then God really shouldn't care about that. I mean, it, it's, not like, it's not like I'm killing anyone. Like it, it, it could be worse, but I'm just going to keep it here. But what I've usually found is the things that get between us and God are the good things that we've let become the ultimate things. Isn't it? It's like Isaac wasn't bad, but God had made Isaac the ultimate thing. You know, and you can think to yourself what they might be. It could be your kids. Your kids are awesome things. But sometimes we make our, our kids the ultimate thing. We put them in between us and God. It could be our careers. It could be success. It could be financial security. It could be retirement. It could be a, a dream of yours that you've had. It could be a value or a viewpoint that you hold. It could be your relationship. It could be your self-image. It, it could be your health. All of these things that are good things that we're probably committed to because they are good things. But when good things become the ultimate things, they get in the way between us and God. You know what it is for me? Now, I won't judge you if you won't judge me. Deal? Okay. Um, for me, what gets in the way of me and God? My mattress. <laughs> I'm serious, like a few years ago, my wife and I, we, we traded, this is after we had our fourth kid, and when you have four kids, you get a new mattress, like for your wife, like it's just like a reward. And so she wanted to, she wanted to trade out our old kind of junky mattress, and, and we got this cloud air supreme breeze thing. I'm not sure what the name of it was, but it, it, it feels like heaven. And, and now, now, I wouldn't say that my mattress is literally between me and God. Well, I lie. Yes, sometimes my mattress does get between me and God. But it's more so what the mattress represents. Just like I don't think it was Isaac that was getting between him and God. I think it's what Isaac represented. But God had to tell him to, to, to sacrifice Isaac in order to see that. And if God told me to sacrifice my mattress, I'd be like, oh. I'd be like, okay. It's not my mattress. It's my it's my comfort that you're wanting to sacrifice. That's what you're getting at here, God, because I like things to be comfortable. I, 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 I like to rest. I like to escape. I like to get away. I like to sleep for a while. I like to ignore life and my kids and kind of check out. I like, I like things to be good and nice. And I think God is saying, comfort's not a bad thing, Brad, but when you put that in front of me, when you take that good thing and when you make it the ultimate thing, it's getting in between you and me. You see, Jesus had a way of putting people on the treadmill. He had a way of revealing to them what it was that could get between him and them. In fact, in Luke 9, there's a story of three people who come up to Jesus and say, hey, I want to I follow you. Each of them did. And the first guy said, hey, let me follow you, Jesus. And Jesus looks at him, knowing that there's something between them, because he's God. And he says, well, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man, speaking of himself, doesn't have a place to lay his head. It's Jesus' way of saying, hey, follow me, but just so you know, we're always going and there's no home. And so is it me or is it your home? And the guy couldn't do it. For him, his home was more important 
Jesus looks at another guy and he says, hey, follow me. And this guy says, awesome, I'd love to, but first let me go bury my father. Now his father probably hadn't died yet. It was a way of saying, let me help my father finish out his years. But Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. Now to be clear, Jesus wasn't actually, that doesn't work that way. The dead don't bury their own dead. But he's saying from, from now on, I'm your family. And the guy couldn't do it because his family was too important. And who can blame him? That feels like it makes sense. The third guy, Jesus says, follow me. And this guy says, can I at least go back and say goodbye to my family? And Jesus is saying, to get a point across, he says, you know what? For this to work, I have to be first. I have to be the ultimate thing in your life. And that feels harsh. That feels like, God, Jesus, that feels really harsh. Like, like uh, did it have to be that harsh? But I think Jesus knew that to the heart of hearing, you have to shout. And he wanted you and me to be clear that for this to work, he has to be first. And Heartland, that is why we talk so much about wanting to be a Jesus first people. Because we, we, we really believe that there are things that get in the way of us and God, and so we have to keep Jesus first. And we really believe that the most important thing about you, about me, about the people in your life is your relationship with Jesus. And for us to be able to be the people that God has created us to be, to be able to live the way he's created us to live, to be able to experience him the way that he has, to be, able, to be able to walk and do the things that God has created us to do, well, he has to be first. And we can't let anything, as easily as it is, we can't let anything get in the way of that. And so we're here as a church to fight for that in one another's lives, to make space for Jesus to be first. And that's not only the kind, the kind of lives that we want to live, that's the kind of church we want to be. Because even in churches, we can let things get in the way of Jesus. And maybe you and I have been at churches where that's happened, and it's easy to happen. And so we want Jesus to be first in these services. We want Jesus to be first in our groups and in our communities. We want Jesus to be first right now. If you've got kids or students or this week where they're at in their ministries, we want Jesus to be first, that they walk away having a Jesus-first life. Because sometimes even churches can put things in between us and God. We can, we can make it about a person or a leader, but not Jesus. We can make it about a great preaching or great music or a really cool building, but not Jesus. We can make it about a, a way that we've done things or, or a tradition or, or a personality or any one of these things, but not Jesus. And when we do, Jesus looks at us and just like he looked at Abraham and he says, I want you to sacrifice that. And all sacrifice is, that's a kind of a big word, but what sacrifice is, is, is when something must die so that something better can come to life. When God says, I want you to sacrifice that, he's saying, I want, I want, you, I want, I want something to die so that something better can come back to life, can come to life in you. And I think Abraham learned this over the years. Maybe he knew that in this test, God was revealing to him if there was something that had come between him and God. Maybe, maybe what, 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 what he was being revealed to him is something that needed to die so that something else could come to life. And what could that have been for Abraham? What needed to die in Abraham? I think it was faith in himself. All the number of times that God told him to do something and he did something else, or he didn't have faith in God, but he put faith in himself. But if he was willing to sacrifice that, sacrifice his faith in himself, well then what could come to life? Faith in God. Faith that God would bless him, faith that God would lead him, faith that God would lead him through the test that he put him through. And so as Abraham prepares to sacrifice his son, God stops him and says, do not lay a hand on this boy. Don't do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, 
because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. We can get a little tripped up on that word fear, but it's, it's not like a frightened kind of fear. God isn't trying to, to like make Abraham feel small in this sense, in this whole encounter. This kind of fear is a reverence. It's an awe. It's a trust. It's a worship that kind of arose in Abraham because he was understanding just how big God was. He was understanding just how loving and how provisional God was. And so Abraham looked over and saw a ram and sacrificed it instead of his son. And then it tells us that Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide. And talk about a promise, friends. The Lord will provide. There's another way that we can translate this from the Hebrew. Some translations will will do this. And I think it's actually a little bit better translation. Not the Lord will provide, but the Lord will see it through. The Lord will see it through. The Lord will see you through the test that he puts you through. The Lord will see you through today. The Lord will see you through the challenges that are coming this week that you and I don't even know about. That the Lord will see you through the rough patch in your marriage. The Lord will see you through those hard seasons when you're caring for your parents as they age. The Lord will see you through as you're trying to figure out how to best parent your own children. The Lord will see you through the rocky patch in that relationship or the tough patch in your career. The Lord will see you through, friends. And we need to hold on to that and believe that and hear that today. And that's really why Jesus came, isn't it? That that Jesus came to once and for all take care of the things that get between us and God. Because the Lord can only see us through if we don't let anything get between us and God. And that was the shift that happened in Abraham. When he finally removed that between him and God, then God saw him through the test. And Jesus came so that there would be nothing filling up that space again that what died would stay dead, that the sin and the self-interest and whatever it is that we let between us and God would die. In fact, you could say that the cross was the greatest test that anyone would ever face. But thankfully for you and me, Jesus trusted that God could see him through it. And so what I wanna do is I just wanna pray for us as we wrap up this message and go into the week. But before I do, I wanna give us a few questions to, to take with us. You know, every week it's one thing to kind of hear these messages, but I want to invite you to take one more step and just carve out some time this week to kind of process and think. Maybe even grab a friend or a family member that you're here with and sit out on the front patio and take one of these questions and talk about it together. You can jump online and you can find the the journey, join the journey, and, and every day there's different reflections that Heartlanders write about what God is teaching them through this passage. And here's the questions I want you to wrestle with this week. Question one, think about a time in your life when your faith in God was tested. What are some of those tests? And what did those tests reveal to you? How or what do you put between you and God? Or what might have the possibility to come between you and God if you're not careful? And how can you remove those things or reprioritize those things and put God first? And then lastly, how can the promise that God sees us through the tests he puts us through, how can that help you live differently this week with maybe just a little bit more confidence, a little bit more trust or obedience, trusting that God loves you and that we can walk out of this as people who put him first in our lives. And so let's pray, friends. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are the God who provides. Lord, that you are the God who sees us through that you are the God who sees the things that, that, that we foolishly let get in the way of your relationship with us. And God, you don't run away from that. You don't quit on us. But you are constantly, persistently, every day trying to help us see how immense your love is and how much we limit your access into our life. 
And so Lord, we thank you for this strange, tough, uncomfortable passage, and that what we learn is that you see us through, and that I pray, Lord, that we would be like Abraham in this moment, who when it didn't make sense, was willing to pay attention to you and your leading and trusting that you had his best interests in mind. And because of that, we can experience and be reminded of your faithfulness, God, to the homes represented here and online, to this church, to Heartland, Lord, to our whole world that you love us so much that you sent your son to die for us. And thank you, Jesus, for enduring that test. You endured the cross and scorned its shame so that we can have the life that you're inviting us into. And Jesus, it's in your name that we all pray. And everyone say together, amen. 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 Hey, everyone, have a wonderful, a blessed week. Next week, we're going to wrap up the series. We'll see you then.